1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, some of you who've been here for our series through 1 Corinthians, you know the title of the series is When the Church is a Mess. And uh, probably we've had, what, five or six sermons so far in this series. And some of you are like, you know what, Pastor, I think that was a poor title because this church is not that bad. I mean, they have some some conflicts. They have some quarrels. Yes, we've looked at that. They've got some kind of party spirit. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, kind of grouping up, doing that stuff we talked about. But so far, Pastor, is it really that big of a mess? I mean, come on, is this church in really that big of trouble? Let's read our text. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man as his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you for though absent in body, I am present in spirit and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual morality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not to even eat with such a one. What what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. My Father in heaven, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the body and the bride of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross that enables us not not only to be free from the guilt of sin, but also from from the power of sin. God, we, uh, we pray, God, help us to deal with sin rightly. God, help us not to ignore it. Help us not to be passive. Uh, God, help us to do so with grace and gentleness and brokenness. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, indeed, the church at Corinth is a mess, isn't it? We see that. Um, now, how, how you deal with a mess is really important. Um, or not dealing with a mess can even be more significant in, in, the, in the, how that plays out in your life. Um, all messes are caused by sin, aren't they? At least in the church, in our own lives, in our families. Um, there's other things that cause problems, but really when we find a mess, what we find is sin, okay? And not dealing with sin does not make things better. How many of you have seen that show Hoarders? You ever seen that show Hoarders, you know? Uh, I've never watched the whole episode, but I've flipped through it several times. And, and I, don't, I don't know exactly, uh, you know, how the show goes or what, but, but I've, seen, I've seen what happens there in the people's lives. And I know this, that at some point in that person's life, they made a decision not to clean up the mess, right? I mean, isn't that what happened? You know, at some point they walked by the table that was piled up with stuff or the, the, the bedroom that was filled with garage sale stuff or what, whatever the deal. But at some point they made a decision and said, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that. You know, I know I should, I know I need to, but I'm just not, I'm not going to, I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to walk past it. We're not going to eat the table. We'll just eat in the living room. At some point they made the decision not to deal with the mess. And, and, and what we see from that show is when you don't deal with a mess, it doesn't get better, does it? Right. 
And what happens here in, in Corinth is that the church doesn't deal with the mess of sin in, in the congregation. And, and Paul comes at them fiercely saying, look, if you don't deal with this, it's not going to get better. Now, what we need to understand before we begin too far here is that 1 Corinthians 5 is dealing with the most serious of situations, okay? Um, th- th- this is a very serious situation. And so Paul uses a very serious response uh, for the church, okay? But not all situations demand this response, right? Uh, let me give you an example in, 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 or an illustration physically. There are times where you get such a wound on your leg maybe or on your arm that the only thing that will save your life is amputation. That's correct, isn't it? That happened. We've got some people in our church that that's happened to. You know, they have such a, such a serious wound that the only thing that's going to save them is, is amputation, Okay. But that's not the remedy for every situation, right? Isn't that correct? You know, I mean, my son came to me last night and he showed me a blister on his big toe. He has a blister on his big toe, okay? You know what I didn't do? I didn't go get the hacksaw, you know, and just say, you know, son, man, we're going to take that dude off, you know, below the knee. No, there's other things that can be done, right? I mean, hey, let's try a Band-Aid, you know? Maybe that, maybe, maybe we try the Band-Aid before the hacksaw, you know? Maybe, maybe we'll, try, we'll try something else, okay? So, so not every situation demands what Paul is going to describe here. However, however, the principles that Paul teaches us today in his response do apply, I think, to all sin. Okay, so what we need to do, first of all, is describe the situation in which the mess here occurs, the sinful mess in First Corinthians five. First of all, the, what kind of sin was it? Well, it was sexual immorality. Verse one says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Okay. Now I'm not going to deal with sexual immorality uh, very extensively today simply because of this. We're going to hit it two more times probably in the next month. Um, next week we're going to be talking about lawsuits and, and different things uh, again, believer against believer. After that, there's another big passage on sexual morality. In chapter 7, there's a passage on, on sex and marriage. And so we're going to have plenty of time to, to give a more thorough definition. And so for today, here's what we're going to say. Sexual morality is simply this. Any sexual encounter with someone who is not your spouse, okay? That is sexual morality. Sexual, and a sexual encounter with someone who is not your spouse, okay? Now, I didn't say who is not your really good friend or is not your, you know, soulmate or, you know, sweet honey bunches of oats or whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, spouse, okay? The Bible is very clear there. You're either married or you're not. I mean, that's, that's not a blurry line, okay? You're either married or you're not. And so the Bible says that sexual morality is any sexual encounter with someone who is not your spouse. Now, sex is a good gift from God. We're going to learn that, especially in chapter 7. It is good, it is helpful, it is pleasing. Uh, God, God is happy with it within the context of a marriage relationship, okay? Within marriage, sex is a wonderful gift from God, and, and it's a very useful thing in a relationship. Uh, but outside of marriage, sex is is rebellion against God. It harms you. It harms the other person. It's destructive of your spiritual, your emotional, your physical life. And this particular situation was sexual immorality that was even even frowned upon by people who don't love Jesus, okay? This guy has a sexual relationship with basically his stepmother, okay? The scripture says his father's wife. Now, that could be his mother, okay? My father's wife is, is Lenora, who is my mom, okay? Uh, so it could be that, but I don't think he's saying that because Paul could have said, his mother. And he didn't say his mother. He says his father's wife. I believe what had happened here 
is either this guy's mom had died or passed away, his dad had married somebody else, and either then his dad passed away or maybe they divorced or I don't know what happened, but this guy is, is having a relationship with his, who would be his, his stepmother, okay? Now, here's what Paul says. Look, that, that's not even tolerated among the Gentiles, okay? I, I mean, obviously, the Bible would condemn that. This guy has a relationship, a sexual relationship with someone who's not his wife, but not only that, but Leviticus 18.8 says, you should never have that relationship no matter what, okay? A man should not have a, that kind of relationship with his stepmother. I mean, this was not even tolerated among the Gentiles. And that's saying a lot because the city of Corinth was a cesspool of morality. Okay, they had a temple there that had a thousand prostitutes, a thousand cultic prostitutes who worked at the temple. And people would come from all over and they would worship at this pagan temple. And part of their worship would be sex with a prostitute. So this this is clearly a, a, a wicked city. And Paul says, look, even the wicked people out there, even the pagans frown upon what this guy in your church is doing. He's disgracing the name of Christ. Christians should be set apart from the world, okay? So number one, what, what, what is the situation here? It's a sexual sin that is particularly heinous, okay? Number two, the sin is by a professing believer. I want you to notice that Paul never gives any instructions, n- nothing about this woman, okay? <clears throat> this guy's stepmother. He, he doesn't say what to do with her. He doesn't say what to say to her. He doesn't say nothing. You know why? I don't think she's a believer, Okay? I mean, Paul gives very specific instructions what should be done with this guy. But the lady, he doesn't say anything. You know why? Because she, she doesn't know Jesus. She's not joined to Jesus. She's not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So she is really under a different standard as far as how the church should deal with her. Not, not as far as sin. Sin is sin. But, but as far as how the church should respond to her than, than this guy who claims to be a believer. In fact, Paul unpacks this a little more down in verses 9 and 10. Look in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy swindlers, idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, who bears the name of brother, okay? Now, obviously, sin is sin, but here's the thing. Believers already respond to sin in a different way than non-believers, okay? You know why? Because as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you're joined to Jesus. As a believer, your sins are forgiven on the cross. As a believer, you, 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 your eyes have been opened to the Scriptures. You know the truth. Therefore, you should respond differently to sin than someone who is not a believer, okay? And listen, Paul doesn't right away uh, question this. This guy's salvation. A lot of times when we see someone living a life that <clears throat> that is is not consistent with Christ, we just automatically assume, well, they're not really. They think they are, but they're not. You know, you know what Paul says? Hey, he says this guy bears the name of believer. He he claims that he is, okay? And and, and Paul's consistent with that. In 2 Timothy, he uses the same rule. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 19 says, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In other words, Paul would say this: look, if you claim Jesus then you need to act like you're a Christian, okay? If you claim Jesus, we're going to hold you to the standard of a believer. Now, if you don't claim him, you know, if you say, you know, I'm not a believer, I don't trust Christ, I've never been born again, you know, I don't believe that stuff. Okay, you know, well, we understand and we're going to share with you, we're going to witness to you, we're, we're going to try to show Christ to you, we're going to try to love you in Jesus' name. But, but if you're a person who says, I am a believer, I, I've got Christ who lives within me, then Paul would say, okay, then your life needs to match that. And if it doesn't match that, there's some accountability. Okay? So number one, it's a, it's a sin of sexual immorality. Number two, it's a sin by a professing believer who evidently is a part of this church. And number three, and this is important, it is a habitual sin. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? 
In other words, this is a sin that is a pattern of sin, okay? There are certain sins that you don't want to commit, you don't mean to commit, you just fall into them. You know, you have a moment of weakness and bam. There are other sins that people have decided, I'm just going to live this lifestyle. You know, I'm going to be this way. I'm going to keep doing this. This is what I'm going to do. And I know it's probably wrong, but I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to live in this. Okay, that's a habitual sin. That's a pattern of sin, okay? And you deal with that differently than you deal with a sin of weakness. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you're working your job. Let's say you're a salesman, okay? Or you're, maybe you work at the counter somewhere. And, uh, and, and your Christian brother works with you, okay? So two Christians working together. And let's say that a customer comes in and just starts griping out your Christian brother. I mean, just letting them have it, you know? I mean, for 25 minutes, they get griped out for something that they didn't do. They had no control over. Well, you can see your brother's getting frustrated. You can see he's, he's trying to hold back his temper. But about 24 minutes into that gripe out session, he just loses it, okay? Just loses his temper, you know, yells at the guy, tells him to get out of the store. Don't ever come back here again. And as soon as the guy walks out, your brother turns to you and you can tell he knows. Ah, I blew it. And I shouldn't have done that. I lost my temper. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man, I know the Lord's not pleased with that. And you see him go back in the break room and just he gets out his Bible. He spends just a couple minutes there kind of regrouping. You can tell he puts his head down. He's praying. Okay. He's repentant. He knows he, he, knows he blew it. He doesn't want to. He comes back in. What, what do you need to do with that guy? You need to say, I got Pastor Jason on the phone. We're going to take care of you, you know, sinner. You don't need to do anything. Okay? He, he sinned. He fell. He's confessed his sin. He's turned away from it. He's repented. He's put it on the cross. You know what you need to do? You probably need to go put your arm around him and say, man, I'm sorry that happened. You know, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you. Man, next time that guy comes in, I'll take him, you know. And uh, we'll throw it, we'll give him a big cake, you know, or something. I don't know. We'll try to figure out his grumpiness. You know, I mean, you, you need to encourage the guy, okay? Because you know why? Because nothing needs to be done because he's handling it, okay? It's not a habitual pattern in his life. He, it's, it's not an unrepentance thing. He has repented. He has come to the cross. You see, that's very different than what we see in 1 Corinthians 5. This guy has chosen to live in sin. Okay? He's ignoring the cross. He's ignoring the Holy Spirit. He's ignoring the Word of God. He, he, he's ignoring what God has given him the ability to fight against his sin. And he's chosen to live in a pattern of sin. That's different. We all sin. First John 1 John 1.8 tells us if anyone says he doesn't sin, he's a liar. Okay? But, but, but the thing is, <clears throat> a believer is grieved by his sin. He fights against his sin. Here, here's the pattern, okay? See, you, you have one of two habitual patterns in your life, okay? You either have a pattern in your life of, of when you sin, God convicts you, you repent, you confess it, you turn away from it, and you try to walk in victory based on the cross. You know you're forgiven, okay? That's either the pattern of your life, and it happens continually, Okay, or the pattern of your life is you ignore your sin, you justify your sin, and you just keep going in it. Okay? Those are very different, and they're handled very differently by the church. Okay? <clears throat> it's an unrepentant sin. Notice it says this guy has his father's wife. And, and I, just, I, I know that's very similar to habitual, but I want to point out that this is still going on. That's what I mean by unrepentant. I mean, to this point, when Paul writes this letter, this is happening, okay? Um, he has his, his father's wife. This is not something in the past. You know what we don't need to be doing, church? We don't need to be digging up people's past. 
You know what? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's past, the new's come. Isn't that right? You know, we, we, don't, we don't need to dig back, you know. I don't need to, you know, when I go to, go to Walmart and I, I see somebody that was in Bonnie's high school class and they start telling me, hey, you know what Bonnie used to do in high school? You know, which I don't know what she did in high school. But, you know, they start telling me that. You know what I don't need to do? I don't need to, you know, next Sunday come up and say, well, she's singing. Hey, guys, we got some stuff we got to deal with, you know. <clears throat> you got to tell you about Bonnie. I'm sure she was actually very great in high school. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? We don't need to do that, you know. I, I, you don't need to go talk to my high school buddies, all right? You know why? Because what's in the past is in the past. And, and I've dealt with that. You've hopefully dealt with that. If you come to Christ, you've repented of your sin. You've turned away from it. You're putting your faith in Jesus. You're walking. Okay, we need to deal with now. What is happening now? Amen. And finally, it's public, okay? So, so it's sexual immorality. It's by a believer. It's a habitual pattern of sin. It's unrepentant. It's happening now. And finally, it is a public sin, Okay? Not every sin needs to be dragged out into the open, okay? Please understand that. You, there are a lot of things where you may happen to find out about it. You know what you need to do? You need to go to that brother personally. You, 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 need, you need not drag it out in the open, okay? There are some things that actually need to be drug out in the open, mostly dealing with leaders, pastors, things like that, where there's a decision the church has to make and there's a direction the church has to change. Uh, there are some of those. But most of the time, most of the time what we don't want to do is drag sin out in, into public. Here's the deal about this. It's already public. Okay? Everybody already knows about this guy. Notice what Paul says. It's actually been reported. Okay? He, Paul's, Paul doesn't even live in Corinth and he knows about it. Okay? Everybody knows about it. Everybody sees this guy living this way. You know? They see him at the park with his stepmom. You know? There's, they're, they're couple skating down the, the trail. You know? I mean, they see him at the grocery store and, you know, the guy's smooching on her, you know, in the, in the back of the church. I mean, everybody knows this. It's a public deal. They're not dragging something up that nobody knows. People know about this already. Now, how do you respond to that kind of situation? Well, let me tell you, hey, don't respond, okay? First of all, you don't do what the church at Corinth did, which was nothing. Nothing. Here's a guy who's, who's blowing his life away. Here's a guy who's, who's tanking spiritually. And you know what the church is doing about it? Nothing. You know what his brothers are doing? Nothing. You know what his Bible study class is doing? Nothing. You know what his small group's doing? Nothing. You know what his pastor's doing? Nothing. Nobody's doing anything. Why? Why aren't they doing anything? Well, I mean, the most obvious answer to me, okay, I'm just thinking about our situation, is, is they probably, very, very possibly, they could be doing nothing simply because it's hard. It's, really, it's an awkward deal to confront somebody and say, that's awkward, isn't it? That's awkward. It's unpleasant. Nobody wants to do it. You're a bad guy. Immediately you got other people mad at you. I mean, believe me, this has happened numerous times to me where I really did the right thing. And I had other people, good people, and they're mad at me, you know. And it's just because they're hurt. I I mean, really, it's just because they're hurt. It's because they care about that person. They don't, you know, they they just care about them. And and so so it looks like I'm picking on them. And so it's just a hard thing, okay? It could have been that. It could have been that we just don't want to get involved in the junk of people's lives. I mean, it's just messy. Who wants to do that? We'd rather, let's just go eat at Subway, you know? We don't want to do this hard work, you know? 
It, it could be a doctrinal problem. It, you know, there, there were people we know in, from Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5, we know that there were people who were really, really off track doctrinally. And, and the way they looked at things was, hey, Jesus died for our sins. Let's go sin some more, you know. I mean, that's the way they looked at it. And, and so a lot of different reasons, but we were not quite sure. But here's what we do know. Whatever the reason, it involved arrogance, okay? Notice verse 2. It says, and you are arrogant. You are arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? Paul says, by doing nothing, you, you're prideful. You're being arrogant, which is really interesting because actually, I, John Piper had a great point about this. He had a great couple of paragraphs on it. Actually, we always think the other way. You know, we think the person who, who, who says, oh, you know, when he's in sin, but let's just not say anything. We'll just be, we'll just pat her and, you know, ask about her puppies, you know. And we, we think that guy's the humble guy, don't we? You know? But, but, the, but the one who comes and says, you know, man, you got to stop doing it. We, we say, well, that guy's prideful. Paul says, no, it's the other way around. The guy, the guy that doesn't say anything, he's prideful. Now, how is he prideful? Again, it could be the doctrinal thing saying, hey, you know, we're just, we're free in Christ and Jesus died for our sins. So, hey, sin all the more. You know, it could be that, that stupidness. Or, or number two, it could be this. I think it's this. We're not free to do whatever we want with God's church. I mean, isn't that right? Whose church is it? Whose does it belong to? It doesn't belong to us. It, it, it's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ, okay? And we're not free to come into Christ's church and say, Hey, Jesus, we, we read how you want it done here, but we really think you're off your rocker on this. We're going to do something different, okay? We, we're not at liberty to do that. You're not at liberty to do some to change something about somebody else's thing, somebody else's house. This is the house of God. We're the people of God. Someone comes to your small group. How do you feel about this? Someone comes to your small group, you know, and, and you, they're going through the food line and, and they're looking at, at your kitchen, you know, your kitchen, your dining room. They're like, man, this wall is hideous. I don't know why you would ever put that in, you know. They go out to their car with a sledgehammer, you know, start knocking the thing out, you know, while you're trying to have small group, okay? You don't do that to somebody else's house unless they want you to. Then you do. But not when they, you don't just go in and start rearranging stuff, you know, and knocking things down. You don't have your way. It's not your house. This, this church is to run in a certain way. Where do we get it? Hopefully here. Hopefully we're people who say, okay, Jesus, how do you want us to do things? We're, we're going to do it that way. What's the proper response? Okay. The wrong response was do nothing. What's the proper response? Well, we got, we got to get this right. If we don't get this point right, then the next two things that we're going to talk about, they don't matter. Okay. Because we'll, we'll mess it up. Notice what, what he says here. You are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? The first thing that we ought to do when a brother is broken in sin is we ought to be broken. We had a weep that Christ is being dishonored. We had a weep that our brother's soul is in jeopardy. We had a weep that other believers are being harmed by sin in the church. We had a weep for the consequences that are going to come to this guy's life. We had a weep because of the distortion of the gospel message to our community. And until we get that right, church, I don't think we'll get the other stuff right. Okay? Until it really breaks our heart that somebody is living in sin. Until that tears us up. Then, then however we handle it, it's probably going to be wrong. We're either going to do nothing 
Or, man, th- th- often this is how the church responds. And this is, this is just as bad as doing nothing. You know what we do? We create a stick man. You know, we build a stick man. And, and, and then we really go after it, you know. We bring the stick man into Sunday school and we start to say, we say, man, have you guys heard about that terrible sexual immorality in the world? And we start jumping on it, you know, the stick man. And, and we pick it up. Have you guys heard about that homosexuality? I saw it on Fox News. You know, we throw it down and we jump on it some more and you know, we pick it up. Have you guys heard about that abortion? You know, abortion is really a, an issue of sexual immorality often, you know. And we, and we throw it down, you know. And we do it real pridefully and victoriously. That, what is that doing? You, you know that stuff that we talk about that's always out there? You know where that stuff really is? It's all around us, isn't it? Is that stuff in Woodward? You better believe it. And so here's the reality. It's just not stuff on, on CNN, okay? It's, it's somebody's neighbor. It's somebody's friend. It's somebody's coworker. It's somebody's son, and it's somebody's daughter, and it's somebody's grandkid. Okay? They're real people who are destroying their lives. And, and, and us grabbing the stick man and trashing it around doesn't really do anything. Okay? It makes us feel better, but, but it really doesn't help anybody. And so we need to, first of all, be broken. However we handle this, we, we, need, we need to really realize, man, these are real people who are headed to hell. And that's a serious thing. And now, once we have that kind of attitude, now you know what Paul says? Paul says, for this guy, you need to put him out of the church. Look at verse 2. And you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verse 13. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Why would, why would Paul say to put them out, put some distance between you and them? Um, first of all, let's talk about this. The implication of that is that there, there's some real spiritual protection in the church. Have you ever thought about that? The blessings and the benefits of Christ-centered relationships and of the preaching of the Word and the teaching of the Word and the prayers of the saints, there's some real protection there in your life, okay? I feel that. I don't know if you feel that. There's some real some spiritual benefits of, 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 of being in the church, okay? Um, we influence each other. We affect each other. I mean, I mean that, that's, that's, that's clear. I mean, we impact each other. I have spiritual men in my life, and, and they love Jesus, and, and they're, 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 they're loving their wives and their, their parents and their kids, according to the Bible. And you know what? Those guys influence me in the right direction. Now, now what if those guys start going in the wrong direction? Okay? Does, does the influence just stop? No. It, it keeps going. And so, so one of the reasons Paul says you've you got to get some distance is because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are leaven for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Some of you ladies, you probably know about this in a, in a real way. I, I don't, just from books. But I guess when you get a batch of dough that is unleavened, if you take a leavened batch of dough, a little, little pinch, and you put it in or on or with that unleavened bread, what happens? It spreads, and the whole thing is leavened. 
Okay? And, and so what Paul is saying is, look, if, if you've got this guy and, and he's living a pattern of sin and it's public and he's unrepentant and he won't change and you just allow him to continue to teach Sunday school and do children's church and have a small group, man, this guy's sin is going to spread. Okay? It's going to have that effect on the church. We influence each other. And friends, Paul comes back and he says, Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus was sacrificed that we would not live in sin. Okay? Part of what it means to be a Christian is you are free from the guilt of your sin and you're free from the power of sin in your life, the pattern of sin in your life. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came so that you would not be stuck in your sins, and that I would not be stuck in my sins. And so Paul says in some way there's got to be a separation. In some way, this, guy, this guy's got to get the message that you can't live this way and be a Christian. You can't live this way in unrepentance, blatant sin, and be a believer. And so we're, we're going to have to lovingly put you out. You can't teach a small group anymore, and you can't teach Sunday school anymore, and we don't really want you doing children's church anymore. And, and we love you with all of our hearts, but you've you got to realize you can't. You've got to stop. That's the message. And now... And now we're left to try to figure that out, which is really hard. Let me tell you why this is really hard. Many times a person removes themselves. In fact, I would say most. Uh, I mean, in my experience as a pastor, you know what happens when someone's spiritual life goes over the cliff? You know what often happens? They're gone, you know? We look around and they're, they're, they aren't gone. I mean, they're, they're not teaching small group anymore. They're not, they're not with the nurse. I mean, they're, they're just gone. They, they've even kind of severed the relationships in the church. They've done this, okay, already. Many times they... This is tragic, but they, they just move down the block. They just go to a different church. Many times they scrap the church altogether, but they could still consider them to be believers. Here, here's a really hard thing in our culture. Some of these folks are, not, are never really connected to a church to begin with. You know, I mean, they're never really plugged in. They're never really built relationships. They, they, they claim Christ and they kind of float around, but, but they're not really landed anywhere. And man, all of those situations make this really hard, huh? you know. But, but here's what I've concluded. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that we don't try. We're not off the hook, church. We're not off the hook. You ought to mourn. You ought to get some distance between you and them. Number three, Paul says, hand them over to Satan. This is a spiritual thing. It's really kind of confusing. Look at four and five. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. Hand him over to Satan. I, I want to show you that this is not the only time that Paul talks in this language. First uh, Timothy 1.20, he talks about these two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who's he, who he's handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12.7, it's not, it's not an identical case, okay? Paul's not living in habitual sin, okay, so not an identical case. But it's interesting that, that Paul says, here's what God does. He says, to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So Paul gets a thorn of flesh, thorn in the flesh. Where did it come from? It's a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too prideful. 
Okay? Interesting, isn't it? Job chapter 2, verse 6. Again, not the same situation. Job is not living in habitual sin. But notice what, what happens here. In, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. Job gets handed over to Satan for a short time. Now, let me tell you the common thread in all, of, all three of those that I mentioned is that Satan brings about really hard difficulties in those folks' lives. Paul had some kind of thorn in the flesh, some kind of painful thing. It was a messenger of Satan. God allowed it. Why? So that he wouldn't get prideful. Job, man, talk about a tough time, right? All kinds of tragedy in his life. What was the end product of that? Job displays his righteousness. So when, when Paul says... Hand him over to Satan. I think it's a good possibility. Paul is saying, as you put this guy outside, as as spiritually, you're saying, okay, God, we're delivering him over. He won't repent. We love him. We're delivering him over into the realm outside the church. And what we're praying is, is that Satan would bring some hardship in his life and that, God, you just do whatever it takes to bring this guy back. That's a hard thing, isn't it? Whatever it takes. God, if... If this person needs some struggles, some difficulties, some tragedies, God, we, we want you to save his soul. 1 Corinthians 11.30 talks about someone in the Corinthian church actually dying. Maybe, maybe more than one people, I don't know. But 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. It's because of sin in their life, unrepentant sin. Now again, this is an extreme case. Right? Do we get that? Right? You're not going to go excommunicate your kids, right, for fussing in the van, please. Most of the time, most of the time when we deal with sin, you know how it's going to be dealt with? But we need to do it. But you know how it's going to be dealt with? Teaching and preaching and rebuke and intercessory prayer and a lunch meeting at, at Sonic and, and a really hard conversation. And maybe some personal pleading and some encouragement. Maybe someone needs to step out of service for a little while until they get their, their, their life straight. I and mean, that's the way it's mostly going to look. But hopefully the key is, is that we deal with the mess in our lives and in our brother's lives. What's the purpose? The purpose of all this, verse 5, keep this in mind. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, listen, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What's, why? why? Why does the church do this? Because they're mad? That's what a lot of people think. They think church discipline happens because church people got real cranky and mad. And so they're just out to... You know, smack somebody, you know, let's, let's, let's crank on. We're, we're ticked off. No, we're really sad. We're broken hearted and we don't want you to go to hell. And, and we're not saying that your, your, your good deeds or your bad deeds. No, your, whether you go to heaven or hell is based on the cross of Jesus Christ. But our lives, our lives are the fruit of what's in our heart, right? And so when you see bad fruit, man, we want to act. Because we, 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 we want you to either come back to Jesus or come to Jesus for the first time. But we want you to be saved. Church, are we, are we serious enough about sin to do the hard things of taking care of each other? I hope we are. I was thinking in my office, what, what would happen if I fell away? You know, I just kind of put this scenario in my mind. I'm not planning on it, okay? Um, I'm not, but I, I just, what if? You know, it's interesting, what if? You know, what if, what if I fell away into unrepentant sin? What if the, the spiritual men in this church came and, and, and addressed me and approached me and rebuked me, and I, I said, I don't care, 
and I continue to live in unrepentant sin. Here's some questions. Would I still be your pastor? I hope not. Would I, would, I still, would I still be a teacher in the church? I hope not. Would I still work in any capacity in the church? I hope not. Would I still, here, here's some harder questions. These are harder. These are more tricky. Okay, those are kind of easy. Would, would I still be welcome with the guys sitting around the table, lunch during the week, talking about church issues? That'd be really hard. But I, I would hope that one of those guys or maybe all those guys would just say, hey, Jason, we love you, but... We've come to you. We've pleaded with you. And, and until you turn from your sin, you know, we're going to have to ask that, that you not eat with us. Not, we don't need to take that too far. Not too crazy. Okay. I'm, I'm, you know, not too legalistic. Every situation. Okay. But just listen. I hope, I, I'm just telling you, I hope that's what would happen. I, I asked this in the first service, 830. I said, you know, Brother Andrew, Pastor Andrew, would you still mountain bike with me? That's tricky. It's just recreation, right? But, I said, Pastor Andrew, would, would we just go mountain biking and and you just ignore that deal in my life? And we could just be buddies and just never talk about the other deal? Man, I hope not. I, I really hope that Pastor Andrew would say, I'd call up, hey, you want to go mountain biking? He'd say, hey, let's talk about your deal. <laughs> I'd say, hey, you want to, no, I don't want to talk about that. Let's go mountain biking. He said, well, I'll meet you out there, but we need to talk about your deal. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I, I hope there'd be a relentlessness that says, look, we can't have, you, you got to come back, brother. You got to come back. Now, again, that's, that's not the way we deal with lost people. What do we do? How do we deal with lost people? They want to go mountain biking and their life's a mess. Come on, man. Come on. Because I want to build a relationship with you and I want to share Jesus. Okay. But that's different than someone who claims to be a believer, who claims to be filled with the Spirit of God, who claims to be joined to Jesus, and that guy's living in unrepentant sin. Man, we got we got to pull out all the stops to do everything we can to bring him back to Christ. I hope we have the courage to do that.